Acts chapter number 20, verse number 17. Now, speaking of Paul, the apostle, the Bible says that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, excuse me, that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command, uh, commend to you, uh, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those that are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to leave off reading there. There's a few more verses in the chapter. Some of you need what I'm about to say more than you knew when you walked in the, in the building today. And some of you may just need to file this for a little bit because I'm going to go ahead and destroy some myths tonight. And we're going to be big boys and big girls this evening. Because I believe as we approach the end of this age and we already see what's happening in the world around us, we're like the sons of Issachar who can discern the times and we know what we needed to do. What are we discerning? We're discerning, uh, discerning um, an exponential growth of manifest evil, wickedness, and perversion in the world today in every strata of society. It is not that we have become more wicked as human beings. It's just that we have more channels to express the wickedness that has always been in the hearts of human beings. And so evil is seemingly on the rise because we have greater means by which to express our depravity and our evil. But I'm not the guy that wakes up every day and moans and groans because this is what I know. For one, I know the end of the story and I know who wins and I know what team I'm on. So I don't wake up every day saying, woe is me. But I do realize that though Christ has won the ultimate war, he has called us to fight the daily battle. And part of that daily battle is for Christians to intentionally abandon our comfort zones, to no longer align ourselves with those who play the victim. For, for we are to walk out the reality of our identity, which is overcomers, conquerors, and we are made to triumph in Jesus Christ at all times. Now, all of that sounds great in a sanctuary on a Sunday, but you and I both know we have to live it out Monday, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, until we finish our race faithfully at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there is much more to endure ahead of us than there has been behind us. And so if we're really going to do this, if we're really going to live on mission, if we're really going to facilitate the advance of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom in our generation. Brothers and sisters, we're not going to do it in finely tailored, coiffed suits and garments. We're going to do it in the armor of God as soldiers of the Most High God. And that is for every single one of us. 
So let's go back through Paul's words as he's saying goodbye to the elders who represented the church at Ephesus. And let's just find out a couple of things that our kingdom assignment, I want you to think of yours. I've thought of mine as I've prepared, and I'll think of it again. And then I want us to think collectively as a missions base. What does our assignment require of us? And hopefully, in the embracing and receiving of the assignment, fresh and new, right here tonight, I'm hoping that other things that have occupied our hands that we've been holding on to, that we'll drop them and we'll put our greater grip on the things that God has destined us for. So begin back up with me in verse number 17. And I want to see this, that our kingdom assignment requires precise ingredients. If we're going to do this, we have to do it well. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of us avoiding sloppy mission? To give him excellence. The Bible teaches us over and over again that in all things we are to live, to glorify God, to reveal his beauty and the immeasurable holiness and the character of God. And so what is this going to look like? Well, let me give you a couple of precise ingredients that have to be with us always. They're not dependent on your personality. They're not dependent on whether we got our hugs enough when we were growing up. They're dependent on us abiding in the Holy Spirit. And so let's begin there in verse number 17. Here's three right here. Transparency, hard work, and humility. Listen to Paul's words. The Bible says that he went from Miletus to Ephesus. He calls the elders of the church to come to him. And then he says this to them. He says to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, and then he adds this, serving the Lord with humility. Now, sometimes we read passages like this, narratives, and we just kind of breeze on past them. But I like to slow down and actually look what the Holy Spirit inscripturated right here, because every word contained in here is meant to benefit us and profit us. So when Paul is testifying, the first thing he says, he says, you know how I was when I lived among you for those three years. I put myself before you. Let me unpack it a little bit and amplify it. I put myself before you. I lived day in, day out in a way where I was embracing transparency. I wasn't duplicitous. I didn't hide. I didn't run. I didn't say one thing on Saturday and do another thing on Sunday. You know I lived my life as open before you because I lived to a greater audience. I lived my life open and accountable before God. And so Paul was no hidden ministerial superstar. He considered himself at times the chief of sinners. And somehow, I know that a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, but he actually didn't say, I was the chief of sinners. By that juncture in his life, near the end of his life, his testimony was, I am the chief of sinners. And there was something in there that just motivated Paul, recognizing the, the massive grace upon his life that brought him into the kingdom. And so he, he decided somewhere early on, maybe the moment he got saved on the road to Damascus, he decided that he would live an open book life of transparency. Yeah. Nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove. But he also said this. He said that, you know how I lived among you from that first day until now, and I was serving the Lord. Uh, Paul, the apostle, Paul, the prophet, as he speaks prophetically in this passage, Paul, the church planting pastor, Paul, the missionary. Paul was the kind of guy whose work ethic was um, something we all ought to consider emulating. Now, I'm a grace guy, and I'm a rest guy, and I don't do anything by guilt. As a matter of fact, there are times where I feel motivated by guilt to do something that's probably good, but because I know my motivation is guilt, I will choose to postpone doing what I know is good just until I get my heart oriented around it. Why? I want to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord. We want to work for the Lord. Friends, he has not called any of us to be spectators. And we're talking about the mission of a local assembly or an entire mission base, both domestic and international. It requires an incredible amount of hard work. One of the things that I, I shudder at at times, and forgive me if this sounds a little provocative, but I, I'm just feeling that vibe. I just feel the Holy Spirit kind of waking us up tonight. That, that one of the things that causes me to shudder is to think that when, when we enter into paradise, when we stand before the Lord, where the scripture is very clear that I'm going to give an account for what I did from the day I was saved up until the time I stood before the Lord, I'm going to give an account. And so many Western evangelicals in recent centuries, the 20th and 21st centuries, will literally stand before the Lord and they will know that he saved them by, their, by his grace, that he shed his blood for them, but there was some detachment in their heart that they were never motivated to serve him with effort and energy 
Paul calls it at times striving in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I'm thinking through these things and I'm seeing that some of these ingredients are missing in a lot of places today. And so I'm not judging you, I'm looking at my own heart. Transparency, hard work, and then the third one is humility right there in verse number 19. I say it all the time and it's just the easiest way to say it, but there, there's no strutting allowed in the kingdom. We're just not supposed to strut. It's not supposed to be about us. We are literally accountable for lowering ourselves and exalting the other person, to put their preferences ahead of us when they make sense, to go ahead and honor those, to go ahead and esteem them in the moment more important than ourselves. And if there is um, an epidemic of humility coming on the church, I welcome it. I'd like to see an outbreak of humility, of deference, of considering the other person's needs far more important than your own. But of course, we've been groomed, most of us, in a culture that tells you you've got your rights, and if anybody infringes upon your rights, it's your right to demand your rights. And, and so we, we live in this, this system of, of, of selfish energy, and it can find its way even into the work of God, where instead of cooperation, there's competition. And the Lord Jesus is looking upon us and having saved me and the other guy I might be competing with with the same precious blood, and he, he must think in his divine mind, he must think, why are they competing when I've made them one? Humility, brothers and sisters, if you want to pursue something, if you really want to go after something that will radically change your understanding of kingdom paradigm, that will radically change your relationships, that will free up your heart from the angst and the tightness and the encumbrance that so many live with, if you will pursue humility, I'm going to promise you something, you're going to find it, and when you find humility in the gospel, you're going to find that as you go low, God's working on the other way, saying, no, I plan to exalt you. You keep going low, child, but I just keep bringing you up. Why? Because when you humble yourself, he promises he will exalt you in due time. So we've got these first three, and then let's go down into verse 19 at the end of it, and verse 20. Here's some more precise kingdom ingredients. Heartfelt endurance and intentional edification. Listen to what Paul describes his ministry as. Listen, we don't all have an apostolic calling, but all of these things can be unpacked in our lives in various ways. We don't have to be the apostle Paul for these to have some kind of relevance to us, but Look, look what he says. He says he served them in humility with tears, with trials, trials that happened to him through the plots of his enemies at that time. And then he says this, I did not shrink back, shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable to you. And then he goes on to say that he taught them in public and from house to house. When Paul is reliving his open testimony, and the hard work of the mission assignment that God had given him, Paul wasn't some stoic. He wasn't some clench his teeth and clench his fist and grind his jaw down. That wasn't the way he approached it. Paul put his heart before his hands. Paul loved, as we're going to see right here in this very chapter. Now, Paul, Paul was hardcore. You don't want to mess with Paul. Couple, I remember one guy messed with Paul, and Paul just said, you're going to be blind for a little bit. Boom, and the guy couldn't see for a while. So Paul was not a guy you want to trifle with, but at the same time, you're not going to find anybody that will uh, accept the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament that displays such a caliber of love. It was Paul that uh, wrote 1 Corinthians 13 and gives us that beautiful treatise on what love actually is. And here he's saying that because he invested not only his hands but his heart, the result sometimes were tears. Sometimes it wasn't reciprocated. He loved people that by far did not love him back. Paul knew what it was like to be betrayed, to be slandered, to be misunderstood, to be misrepresented, to be constantly burdened. I mean, he goes and he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and he talks about the things that he went through, and then he adds this little statement. He goes, on top of that, the care of all the churches. And so Paul knew what it was like to give and to give and to give. Now, I want to tell you one of the things that the enemy, I've seen him do this, that when somebody is plowing well in the kingdom, Somebody is either currently making a difference or well on their way to making a difference that will infuriate the enemy. The enemy will make sure that there is somebody that crisscrosses your path that'll do you wrong. And let me tell you, I've seen more stumble over that than I've seen them overcome that. They get bruised, they get wounded, and then they, they don't deal with that in the gospel. They don't deal with that in grace. They forget how much they themselves have been forgiven, and they feel bloodthirsty, or they feel wrecked, and they, they withdraw, and they pull back. 
Paul, who had more opportunity to do that than any of the apostles probably, says, no, I just kept pressing through those tears. I kept pressing through those trials. Sometimes it wasn't just human. Sometimes it was circumstances. Sometimes it was, Paul said there were times where he knew how to live in poverty. When he didn't know how he was going to be able to take care of his responsibilities, much less the churches. And so one of the things that we've got to remember on mission, mission isn't about us getting everything our security blanket first, making sure we've got our nest egg, making sure we've got ourselves taken care of, and then risking it. One of the things that we've got to understand is as we approach the end of the age, I just want to remind all of us, we are not taking anything with us. Nothing. Now, I know we know that, but do we live that? And so there are going to be times, and I believe they're going to come more commonly than uncommonly, where God is going to call people to abandon the American dream, which is in the gospel, an American nightmare. The American dream says, this is how things work if you do life well. You're born, you are educated, you begin to work. As you work, you save and you invest. And then at the age of around 65, earlier, if you're doing very well, you can retire from all work and enjoy everything you did. And then one day you die and go to heaven. Brothers and sisters, that is so foreign to the mission that God has given us. Do we work hard? Yes. Is there anything wrong with education? Absolutely not. But if our trajectory is that we might embrace a temporary success, and in the pursuit of that temporary success, we forego the mission that, that brings eternal dividends, then it becomes a nightmare to us. Paul said, no, I'm, I'm willing to deal with the tears. I'm willing to deal with the trials. I'm not going to shrink back. I love that. Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring anything to you that would profit you. So he was willing to do the hard things and say the hard things. Uh, how many of you know we live in a politically correct gone amok generation if you like to be patted on the head and you like to be spiritually massaged and you like a constant flow of good boy and good girl you may be in the wrong church amen we love each other and we want to edify each other but good night alive sometimes i need a spiritual kick in the pants from somebody that loves me Sometimes I need a pointed word, not a, not a cushioned cross laid on me, but a rugged one to be able to recognize that, man, I, I, we are identifying with the Son of God who sacrificed everything. The rub is this. When we get prematurely fixated on the cost and we lose our sight of the promise, we focus on what it's costing us now, and we miss what he says he will reward us with then. And so then what happens is the cost becomes inflated and weariness sets in. And we get tired of the salt of our tears, and we get tired of, of the, the difficulties that come along with it. But I just want to be reasonable. Think about this. If we are on mission for the Son of God and His glory in our generation, which we are, if we have committed on various levels to facilitate the gospel, to live our lives in a way that reflect the glory of Jesus, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and to love God supremely, keeping the first commandment in first place, if we are living on that trajectory, isn't it reasonable that we should expect a little pushback from the enemy? a little pushback from the world system, a little wreckage in our own flesh. Our own flesh doesn't even want to cooperate with the call of God on our lives. And so when we're thinking about that, man, it's not, we can't be surprised anymore when the pathway gets a little steep, when, when it gets a little wearisome, when, when we just don't know how we're going we're gonna to make it. You say, well, Jeff, I could do it, but I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm alone. Well, let me just go ahead. Sometimes you are alone in certain points of your journey. There are some burdens that God doesn't want other people to bear with you because he wants to get under the yoke of that thing, just you and him. So he actually cordons off people and he wants you to learn that you and he under the yoke that he has placed upon you is sufficient. But the mission sometimes, brothers and sisters, the mission, it can be heavy. Look down at verse 21. Man, I'm still on my first point. God help me. Yeah, I mean, this is... All right. The rest of it gets, uh, well, I was about to say it gets easier. It doesn't. I'd be lying, and I don't feel like repenting up here. So, <laughs> Verse 21. 
just very quickly, consistent. And these are, these are essential ingredients, precise ingredients for us together and us individually to facilitate the mission that God's given us. And part of it is consistent, centralized messaging. I just like what Paul says in verse 21. He says, I testified both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that even significant? Because we, we get that. That's, we're, we're fine with that lingo. We understand what that means. Listen to what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, it doesn't matter who, who, who I'm with. It doesn't matter where I go. The two major people groups in Paul's day were the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Greeks. And Paul says, I'm no respecter of persons. When I'm with the Jews, I teach them, repent before God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, whom they considered in, in Judaism in Paul's day, they considered a false Messiah. They consider him anathema, cursed. And Paul, when he's in the midst of people that he knows whose religion has rejected Jesus Christ, he says, I have the same message. I tell them to repent and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. When he comes in the presence of Gentiles who would bow down and worship just about anything in that day, especially in the city of Ephesus where there was a God on every market street corner, Paul says, I tell them the same thing, repent. The, the Greek word metanoia, it means change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about God. And put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to win you to the Lord here tonight. That is not my, I wouldn't be opposed to it if you need Christ. We will help you with that. But that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that this aspect of the gospel, focused, centralized, consistent messaging. We don't need to be speaking and preaching a thousand different things. We have to work hard together as a body of believers. When we're talking about advancing in mission, we're going to keep Jesus Christ at the center of it. We're not going to have some kind of celebrity, superstar, big-name pastor church. We're not going to go around and trying to be polychromatic and make everybody wowed with our marketing presentations. What are we going to do? We're going to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, and coming again. We're going to preach the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell people that they can be saved, eternally forgiven, having their judgment expunged from their record if they're bowed to the Son of God. But we're not going to market them. We're not going to package them nice and neat and sweet. We're going to present him as the scriptures do. And the scriptures present Jesus Christ as the Lord above every Lord and the King above every King. Yes. And the King's calling is not to be answered, it's to be obeyed. Amen. Yes. And so we're going to preach that. It doesn't mean we're harsh, it just means we're clear. Do you know that, that non-believers, they're smart and they realize when they're being manipulated and patronized by religious hucksters that go out there and try to preach a slick gospel to get them to make some kind of religious profession that doesn't result in regeneration. I'm going to tell you something. I, I want as many people to benefit from what God is doing here, but I am absolutely, and I speak for Gabe, Billy, and Dustin, I am absolutely unwilling to change anything central to who we are and the message that we've got in order to get some presumed growing flock. We want disciples, not a crowd, amen? So we'll keep that messaging. And by the way, repentance towards God and faith toward Jesus Christ is not just a message for unbelievers, it's a message to me and you too. Metanoia, change your thinking about God. Um, if you still believe exactly the way you believed when you got saved, you stopped too soon. You did not get it all that first week, month, year, or probably five years. If we're growing, we're changing. Anything that doesn't change, it either atrophies or it fossilizes, but ultimately it dies. And so as we are working with him and walking with him and we are moving in mission, friends, we are going to have to constantly be placing our mind. The Bible says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that is a constant process. And so he's going to work in ways that don't register with the way he used to work in your life. God's not obligated to bless tomorrow what he blessed yesterday. He reserves the right to bless something new and to make something new. And if we don't practice metanoia changing our thinking and depending in faith on jesus christ then there are components of the mission that we may miss we'll go down into verses 22 through 25 our kingdom assignment not only requires some precise ingredients but also our full dependence and this is where i want to encourage some people because you're right in the middle of god's will and it's hard and and you know how it feels sometimes when it's hard doubts can creep in Look what Paul says. This is where he testifies of his mission. Let's get these components here. We must embrace living without all the answers. 
Look at what Paul said. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, the next two words, not knowing. You could fill in the blank there with whatever you don't know right now, but for Paul it was not knowing what's about to happen to him. This is a level of faith that, that holds at the end of a commitment to this level of faith, holds amazing treasure. Paul says, I know the headline of what God has called me to, but I have none of the fine print. I, I know the calling, but I have zero explanation. I, I know the commandment, but he didn't give me a guarantee. The life of faith does not come with a syllabus, and mission does not come with a syllabus. He doesn't write it all out. He simply comes to us as his children, and he comes to us as our father. And he says, I brought you into my household. I brought you into my family. I brought you into my kingdom. Now I'm going to dispatch you because I have something I want to do with you. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I'm not going to tell you how we're going to do it. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you who's going to be with you or who's going to leave you along the way. I'm just going to tell you I'm going to be with you, and I want you to just metanoia, change the way you think about me, and I want you to trust me and my son Jesus Christ. Paul just said, I'm answering a call. And people say, where are you going? Where is he calling you? Jerusalem. What are you going to do there? I don't know. <laughs> no, come on, Paul. We know your prayer life. What are you going to do there? No, I, I don't know. Well, what do you think you're going to do, Paul? Like, I don't know. Well, has he said anything to you? Oh, yeah. He said some things to me. Well, what is it? We'll go down into verse 23 and 24. We got to expect a high demand on us personally. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account myself, my life, of any value. That's a mind-blowing statement right there. I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, let me go ahead and insert this. It is not likely at this point that many, definitely not most, but probably not even many of us, will be imprisoned for the faithfulness to the gospel. But I also want to make sure we leave it on the table as a possibility at some time in the future. Paul said this, the only thing God has told me about my calling, about the mission he's giving me, is it's going to be really hard. What kind of caliber of believer do we have to be for the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit to communicate to us, I have something in my kingdom I want to do with you, and it's going to bring me great glory, but I can almost see him as a father, but saying, but daughter... It's going to be very difficult. Son, it's going to cost you. Now, brothers and sisters, this is where I want to destroy some myths. Call it whatever you want. A lot of people call it the hyper-grace movement. The teaching that because of God's grace and because of Jesus Christ bearing in himself all of our sins, all of our sicknesses, all of the transgressions, all of the, the nasty. He took it upon himself. There is a, a back-ended teaching that says, therefore, you should never experience anything negative as long as you're walking in the Spirit. And unfortunately, that has been propagated strongly enough and lastingly enough for decades now that is still rooted down to where when people are in the will of God, they're, they, they're faithful, they're seeking him, they're being obedient to what they do know, but when perplexity comes in or unanswered prayers or delayed response comes in, when, when, when there's the, the attack of the enemy or the um, misrepresentation or the mistreatment of humans, instead of recognizing, oh wow, the world, the flesh, and the devil's coming against me, they turn morbidly inward and they say, what am I doing wrong? Because if I was doing right, none of this is supposed to happen to me. And yet God looked at the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, do you remember when Paul was converted? 
When Paul was converted, he was on his way to imprison Christians, and Jesus Christ knocked him off his horse with his radiant, radiant brilliance, put him in the dirt, converted Saul of Tarsus, blinded him because of the bright glory that had shined brighter than the noonday sun. And so Saul is sitting blind in a house, and God goes and finds this disciple named Ananias and says, Ananias, I, I want you to go and restore Saul. I, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Good night, man. I thought I had a difficult calling for a few years back in the past. I, that's nothing. I, 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 want to, I want to just, man, I just, I, there's some gold in some people in here. There's gold in some of you. There's gold, gospel gold, kingdom gold. Gold for the glory of Jesus. But friends, we can't get to it unless God brings in the pickaxe and goes hard after that stuff in our lives. Now, I don't want you to, to feel like I'm misrepresenting his fatherly care or his fatherly love. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you what I see in the pattern of Scripture. You can look at it all throughout your Bible. The people that you admire most in the Gospels and in the Old Testament the people that we admire most, they suffered because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus. And we have been for decades, if not a century or more in the United States, preaching a gospel that holds very little cost for those who receive it. Is it any wonder why it's hard to motivate people on mission? Because they don't value it. If it costs them nothing, there's no value to it. So we have got to reorient ourselves and recognize that I believe in these last days, and I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. I know it's not today, and I know it's not going to be any time like right around the corner, but I do know this. I do know that times are going to get worse and worse as we approach the second coming to the unfolding of cataclysmic events. Things are going to shift in the culture. The persecution is going to arise. And my fear as a parent and as a, a gospel leader is that we have ill-prepared people for what is going to cost them at the end of the age so that they can endure until the end. So we've got to embrace living without all the answers. Some of you have your calling, but you've got no details supplied. He's still faithful and he's still trustworthy. If you're waiting on the details, he may not give them to you. He, he literally, there are times in our lives where he, we, we have an Abrahamic moment. Where he's just saying, pack your bags and start heading to the place I'll show you. And you know, if I was Abraham, I'd say, Lord, that is an awesome calling. That's great. Hey, how about a little hint? How about a compass? Lord, Lord, just point somewhere on my GPS. Just give me an idea. I would want to barter with God. And sometimes God, when he wants to galvanize us and elevate us in the kingdom, and he wants to take us into greater depths with him, he will give us something and supply no addendum, no details. He'll just say that in essence, I'm going to give you exactly what you need to obey, but nothing more because I want you to find out the degree to which you trust me. It's not so he'll find it out because he already knows. And a loving, compassionate father, he wants us to come to terms with it. If he ever wants to grow your faith, faith only grows when it's stretched. And so when we're looking at, at the Apostle Paul, in his example and in his words, he's, he's saying, I don't count my life dear unto me. When revival hits, that's going to be um, uh, uh, an obvious element of revival hitting is when all of us together move into a greater depth of being selfless. We, can you imagine? Listen, it is a beautiful thing to live with nothing to lose and nothing to prove. Amen. It is the greatest freedom, nothing to lose, nothing to prove, not counting our lives dear unto ourselves. Verse 25, and then I'm going to add verse 37 to it. We have to remain open to new directions. Some of you that hate change are going to hate this, so there's some earplugs in the back. Listen to what Paul says. He says, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Down at the end of the chapter, when they're saying goodbye to Paul, he's, he said, and the Bible says, Luke writes, that there was much weeping 
on the part of them all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him. Being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. That's how the chapter ends. All that speaks of a new direction. Don't get addicted to where you are and what you're doing. Don't get addicted to the people that are in your life. You know what? We're supposed to love people, but we're not supposed to be addicted to them. All of us have experienced um, on some level or another a person that was once crucial in our lives, significant in our lives, no longer being there. The, the, the one thing that we can expect in this life is to expect the unexpected. Forgive the cliche, but I, I'm thinking we, we lose grip on it. There, there is some kind of insidious presumption in modern Christianity that says, hey man, if I'm walking with God, it's, it's like a straight line up. It's like, heaven. That's, that's the way we've been trained. And nobody teaches that class, but it is our default presumption. It's, it's a straight, unbroken line migrating upward and upward, and then we enter into glory. We're all high-fiving each other up there. because It's like, a, it's like an escalator at the mall. And, and, and that's not the way it works. If anything, man, it's this. It's spaghetti. It's not a straight line. It's cooked spaghetti. Uncooked spaghetti is the straight line. A cooked spaghetti is, is all over the place. That was a terrible illustration. I just need to... <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm sorry, but... I've seen this too. I'm just, I'm trying to encourage you. I feel like I'm just kind of like trying to use a, a shotgun gospel today just to make sure everybody gets hit with something because I don't get wrecked when life throws you a curveball as a Christian. You have a sovereign God who declared he's your loving father. And I know we experience pain. And I know that we are mystified sometimes at why chapter 10 of life looks nothing like it you thought it would be when you were writing chapter 1 or living chapter 1. I get that. But the beauty of it, I think, I think so much of what he's calling us to recognize is that if everything else is boiled away, the ultimate promise is that, that he said, I am going to be with you everywhere yes. at all times, yes. never leaving, never forsaking. Yeah. He cannot fail. He can't. And so when, when things change, when plans change, I mean, good night alive. Look at all of us, man. We weren't doing this seven weeks ago. Can I, can I speak actually to this for a moment? I'm just, I feel some grace on this. Guys, ladies, changing a local assembly, locations for those that came from IHOP Atlanta, um, certain elements of our corporate life for those that were at Newbridge and for all of us, really. Do you realize how small and insignificant these changes are compared to what our other brothers and sisters do all throughout the world and compared to what some of you have gone through in your life? Don't panic during change. Look for God. Amen. What is he saying? What is he doing? God's not panicking. <laughs> He has never panicked. And so when, when, when change begins to happen, you know, some of us are okay with change. Some of us love change. You, you're like the frog on the lily pad. You've done your time on this lily pad and you want to move to the next one and the next one and the next one. That's cool. That's the way you're wired. Other people hate change. You know, it's, it's a curse word. I mean, they, they just hate change. But if we're being made and transformed image to image, faith to faith, if God is truly going to work continually to make us like Jesus, by definition, he can't leave things the way they were. You know what happens if things never change? They stagnate, they fossilize, they atrophy, and then they die. And that doesn't sound like what Jesus signed us up for. So what do we do? We, we focus on the unchangeable one when everything else is changing. And we just kind of, listen, sometimes faith is a simple refusal not to panic. Just, I'm just not going to panic. I'm going to wait and say, yeah, that doesn't sound spiritual, but I believe it's true. Some, we think faith as, Goliath, you uncircumcised Philistine, you're dead. You know, we think that's faith. Well, sometimes faith is just refusing not to panic. And, and God's just as pleased with that as he is with us slinging a stone 
at Goliath. So Jesus, I think, tonight is saying to some of us what he said in a boat one time when the wind and the waves were crashing in and the disciples, I think the Greek word is freaking out, and Jesus said, (laughs) peace be still. Think about that. Is, Is God intimate and personal enough with you to where you can just picture him saying, hey, calm down relax peace settle down or if you're a millennial you hear him say chillax bro (laughs) but listen i'm not being irreverent i'm just saying i actually believe that sometimes we are way more uptight than god is people some of us were raised to, to bow at the altar of an uptight god that is not him we 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 friends Well, some things are profitable, and sometimes I'll just, I'll tell Amy at home, here's what I was going to say. And she'll say, you're probably wise that you didn't say that. So. Let, let's get through this. Listen, um, because I, I know I'm talking around mission, and I really am. And listen, I don't, I don't normally do this. I'm not saying this because I want you to hear me preach, but you'd be helped to listen to the first message when it posts um, on our social media or on the SoundCloud because it's much more detailed about what we're going to be doing. But tonight, I'm really feeling like I'm just called to pour into those of you that are already doing your assignment from God, that you're, you're living it out, and maybe it's, uh, it's hitting some speed bumps. And I just think the Lord wants to encourage you. So let me give you this last point because I do believe it will encourage you. So our kingdom assignment requires tenacious commitments. Tenacity is a virtue in the kingdom. A simple refusal to quit has, has preserved many rewards for many saints that have already gone before us. There, there are many commands in Scripture, and there are many references to the expectation of the Lord that we would endure and persevere and never quit. And, and sometimes, man, I get it. There, our flesh, our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. So what does it look like in Paul's testimony here? What does it mean to fulfill your tenacious commitment, you standing before your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord, your King, your God, your Father, the one to whom you are in love when you're thinking straightly, the one that you burn for, the one that that is everything to you. The one when, when all else is, is stripped away, you're just, you're, you just sit and bask in moments of immeasurable gratitude that he has rescued you and saved you and called you his beloved and he has shepherded you and provided for you and he speaks to you and he sings over you Zephaniah chapter number three and he promises you and he brings you into covenant and he does things for you that nobody else ever could or ever would how can we quit on that how can we even back off on that Listen to what Paul said. We're going to fear God and not man. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let me give you something. This is is a word for this mission's base. Moving forward. When Paul speaks of declaring the whole counsel of God, he's saying many things, but in part he's saying, I wasn't ashamed to be a herald of anything that the Father says. I wasn't ashamed to represent God in every places where God must be represented. I wasn't embarrassed of his ways. I wasn't apologetic for his holiness. I, I, I didn't try to water down his intensity. I didn't try to dilute him to a, an appropriately comfortable level. And I told you the truth. That's the core of what Paul's saying. I declared to you the entire counsel of God. If we're going to do this thing, and we are, if we're going to go after it in a way that God continues to smile upon, we've begun well. But man, we are literally, we're we're in the cradle of this thing yet. If we're going to do this, it's got to be wholehearted. It's got to be with full across-the-board commitment and intentionality. I don't want to play at this. You don't want to play at this. 
If, if we are, are singing and praying and, and fasting and calling out for God to bring revival so that the, the, the sick will be healed on contact, on a, at a word. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm not satisfied in this life until I at least one time see the dead raised with my own eyes. Say, why, Jeff? Because that's what they did in the New Testament. Say, well, that was then. No, that is now. Nothing's changed. Except maybe our expectation has lowered. The whole counsel of God, that means the, the parts that are amen worthy and the parts that are oh me worthy. The parts that, that people love to hear. Nobody gets mad at Jesus loves you, he gave his life for you, he died on a cross for you so you could be with him forever. Nobody gets mad at that. But you start talking about the holiness of God and accountability and judgment and, and things like that, you're going, to, you're going to ruffle some feathers. But we can't be a people that's embarrassed of that. We need to make sure we speak those difficult truths in absolute intentional love and grace, but not to the extent that it, it blurs the truth. You see, when we declare the whole counsel of God and we live according to it, we will invariably... And inevitably, it's going to mean that both our message and our shared ministry together is going to encounter direct opposition from those who want to play it safe. I, I don't want to play it safe. Your leaders here don't want to play it safe. If we wanted to play it safe, none of us would be in the room together. Yeah. You realize what we've done, right? No? You want to know? Good, I'm glad you asked. Let me just tell you. Two and a half years ago, this was an independent Baptist church. Two and a half years ago in Decula, there was an Assemblies of God church. Two and a half years ago, there was a 24-7 prayer room focusing on night and day worship and taking the gospel from the neighborhood to the nations. And in the infinite heart of God, where there is all wisdom, unfathomable wisdom, to, to the human eye, unreasonable wisdom, just doesn't make sense god said baptists assemblies of god come on i'm gonna do a wedding and he married us and we became newbridge and because god knit hearts together between ihop atlanta and what was newbridge there became the threefold cord and he wove us together and he says it can't be broken it will not be yeah. broken that's what he's done. Now, friends, I'm just a, I'm the kind of guy who's like, well, he didn't do that for something insignificant. We've all stepped out of our comfort zone. We've all decided not to play it safe. There is no great treasure in your comfort zone. There's mildew. That's all that's there. And some stank. I mean, it's just mildew and nasty there. That's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to come out of it, and we have. But guess what? He didn't just call us to get in here in the beginning. Now we begin. Now the mission begins. So finishing up, that's the third time I've said that, but I'm really getting close. We remain alert against the schemes of the enemy. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention, Paul says. He's, he's saying this to the Ephesian elders, church at Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves. First of all, he says, Keep a watch over your own heart. And to the flock, keep a watch over the people that depend on you, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of. Care for the church of God. Do you hear that? Paul is leaving them. He's never going to see him. And he's, he's saying, I want you all to make sure y'all love each other well. I'm not going to see you again. Watch your own heart. Take care of the flock that God has given you, elders. Take care of it and love each other well. Why, Paul, verse 29? Because when I leave, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's saying, keep your eye on the outsiders that are going to be coming against you. Be aware that the enemy's not happen, happy about what was going on at Ephesus, and he's saying to the leaders, keep your eye on the flock, because from the outside, wolves are going to be coming after you. But man, if that wasn't bad enough, look at the next thing he says. And he says, and from among your own selves, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 
So part of what we do, brothers, sisters, is that we engage proactively in spiritual warfare. That, that we don't sit around, wait for the devil to make it up to the front row running the show, but literally from the outside examining our own hearts and then holding each other accountable from within. Listen, listen, listen to me on this. I feel so strongly about this, that this is so good what God is doing. It is so unique. It has such kingdom potential. People are talking about this. Sitting right here is a man on the front row that is here from California. Vince Brooke is a friend of mine. And he got knitted up with the ministry a couple of years ago through Transforming Truth. And, and God started working through what he was doing here and through IHOP and through Bridgeway in, in Greenville, South Carolina. And now Vince is in California. He doesn't know what's happened to him, but that God is just kind of, Holy Spirit's encountering him. They're calling him up to a church three hours away. He drives every Sunday to go up there. People are getting healed. They're getting wrecked. It's just a amazing and he's had no grid for this he said I don't know what the Lord is doing I said don't try to figure it out just steward it brother steward it this is just what God's doing but it's so important that I promise you the enemy will day after day look for a way in and in the name of Jesus he is not going to get into this thing through me and we have got to watch our own hearts and we've got to hold each other in loving accountability and we've got to be aware that the wolves want to make their way in. But if we are proactive, worship team, come on up, I just got to quit. If we are proactive in this thing, we'll continue to advance the mission because the mission is not only about Lawrenceville or Gwinnett County or Metro Atlanta, but the mission goes overseas through Finish the Task, our missions organization. Our missions arm, Sin 56, reaching um, unreached Muslim people groups on the continent of Africa. For those of you that are intercessory missionaries and you're giving yourself to night and day prayer, and sometimes you wonder if anybody, anybody is being benefited from it. You're standing in front of a guy right now. You're sitting in front of a guy right now. My life was changed because of intercessory missionaries at IHOP Atlanta who refused to let the flame go out. And they continue to worship and sacrifice and press through and endure. And brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to take something that God has given us in an embryonic form and to care for it and tend for it and, and, and tend it and to where it's going to give birth in a way that'll send literally, if we want it to, if we want to steward this, it'll send ripples across the oceans into other places in the world. So it is far too early for any of us to quit. Yes. 